We're going to do selective scriptures because of the nature of the message. But the message is entitled, Fathers Are Priceless. Sometimes messages like that, they're just, you know, uh, catchy, stuff like that. But it, it's, it's exactly what the Bible says. Um, society confirms this through history. The history of man reveals that the home is the nucleus of society. And society is the mere reflection of the conditions of each particular home. Uh, there are different cultures, different homes, but for the say, in the most part, uh, a culture and society has a set standard. Though they're individually, there's a collective whole. If homes um, in society are ethical and moral, teaching right from wrong as objective truth, followed by rewarding consequences, the result will be sound, orderly, and happy homes that will in turn provide a safe, productive, and efficient society. The nuts and bolts of society. Sadly, our public school education has um, emasculated the adult male and doing all it can to feminize the young male which is one of the contributing factors of the absence of fathers leading their homes. We have gone away from a Western worldview, which is based on Christian Judeo ethics. And we have moved to a socialist Marxist due to our socialist Marxist universities. This is why so many people have left this church the last 10 years. Because I speak the truth about our nation and our culture. And it's not politically correct. You must face the truth, fathers, this morning. You have a great task before you. This is what's at stake. Your families. Absolute your families. And so, how I thank God for you fathers who have come to Christ. And who have benefited your family by your repentance. And will continue to affect them. But let me give you three hooks to hang our thoughts on. First of all, um, the value of fathers in the home, I want to see it through a threefold uh, role. First, the Bible teaches fathers are spiritual leaders. We'll look at that first. Secondly, the Bible teaches fathers are models of a husband. And thirdly, the Bible teaches fathers are heads of their home. These three pillars are essential for sound homes that carry over to a sound society. So the Bible teaches fathers are to be spiritual leaders. Everything must come from Scripture. Scripture's objective truth, not subjective truth that is being taught to many of you young people and even some of you in the workforce. You need to understand the difference between objective truth and subjective truth. Objective truth Right is right all the time. Wrong is wrong all the time. Subjective is, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Well, it's wrong for you, but not for me. No. That's subjectivism. Each father is to acknowledge that um, his role is according to the revelation of their creator. Again, we have a biblical worldview. We believe in a God. We believe that someone created us. We believe that someone's responsible for this whole thing that we see. 
God revealed he created man in his own image after his own likeness in Genesis 1.26. So God gave man the ability to think and to reason to distinguish him from the animal kingdom, from instinct. That's different. But more important, he made him a spirit being. Animals die, they fertilize the ground. They don't resurrect. All right? The millennial kingdom, God's going to have other animals because that's just a continuation, but in an unfallen way for the creation. Okay? But you and I are spirit beings. God revealed the... And he gave man the headship of creation by God placing Adam in the Garden of Eden there in chapter 2, verse 8. And Adam was responsible to God for the oversight of the garden. Get care for it. Tend it. God revealed also he created Adam first. Then the help me for him was created. For it was not good that man should dwell alone, but he would make a help me for him in Genesis 2, 18. Eve was the completion of Adam, not competition. God revealed his design. His design is incredible. It's marriage in the family. The nucleus of human society by a man leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife, and they too becoming one flesh, a new entity, a new home in Genesis 2.24. So the worldview is very important, how you perceive what a man and a woman and the goal and the purpose and who's responsible for all this. If you think you just... Just uh, our product of a goggly gook that just kind of just one day because of the sun, you got irritation on the forehead, little amoeba thing, and all of a sudden it sprout out a right leg, then a left leg, then an eye complex, and all that, then you've got more faith than I do. Completely. Male and female, God's perfect fit to complement life. Each father is to acknowledge the word of God as the authority then over their lives. Gentlemen, you are the high priest of the home, as we'll see. God revealed that Adam, uh, the boundaries for his own benefit in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. In 16, he gave the permissible good. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. God gave him the permissible good. This, this is good for you. The prohibited evil was, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's objective truth. If you do it, you're going to suffer death. There's no subjectivism here. Verse 17. God has always revealed to man his will and standard for life by his word and through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All refers to the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Peter and Paul makes this very clear in 2 Peter 3.16. They're all scripture. The word inspiration means literally breathed or expired out of God. Therefore, the origin and the nature of scripture is divine, not human. God set the rules. God gave the revelation. It's not just an intellectual quest. Second Peter two one, Second uh, Peter chapter one verse twenty through twenty one. It says that those men of old were carried along literally by the Holy Spirit of God. 
Not from their own impulse, not their own origin. But God anointed them to speak. So what you possess in your lap, ladies and gentlemen, is God's inerrant, infallible truth. God's objective truth that never changes. Absolutely. But the world wants to change it. Your professors want to tell you it's hogwash. Because they live in a subjective world. That really deals with your gender, your race, your religion. And it isolates you and divides you rather than makes you one under the authority of God. So that you realize you're going to have to give accounts to your life one of these days to someone. And it's not your professor. It's the creator. At times they didn't understand all that they wrote or said or to who they wrote. First Peter 1, 10, 11 says... Very clear. Sometimes they knew exactly it was for that generation. Sometimes it was to the king and it was a promise of maybe captivity or whatever it is. Other times they spoke way down the road. They didn't know. But it didn't matter. What matters is God knows what he says about his word. Whether I believe it or understand it doesn't matter. It's going to come to pass. The word of God has a purpose in mind. The rest of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says the scriptures are profitable for doctrine, primarily referring to the content of truth or right learning. The scriptures are profitable for reproof. It means conviction of guilt. Whether man acknowledges it or feels the guilt or not, it doesn't matter. Objective truth has nothing to do with your emotions or how you feel. It has to do with revealing who you are and what you're doing. Objective truth. The scriptures are profitable for conviction. It really means restoration to put you upright in a state of straightness. Literally to stand straight again. It means that because we're spirit beings, we have the tendency through the fall to get crooked. And so the word of God shows you your crookedness so you can stand up and be right with God. They're profitable for instruction on righteousness, the whole train of a child's education, to cultivate the mind, the morals, and increase spiritual value. Body, soul, spirit. The scripture for the man of God to be complete, thoroughly equipped, listen, for every good Work, he says, the term man of God, as you know, is used in the Old Testament for the prophets and for Christian leaders in the New Testament. But in a general sense, it is to every person who is submissive to God, born again, desiring to do the will of God and walking with God, a man or a woman of God. It has to do with what God is doing in us and through us. Now, the man of God or the woman of God is made complete, describing a man perfectly adapted for the task. Well-rounded, if you will. A man of God is further described as thoroughly equipped, adding further emphasis on the previous word complete to describe the totality of sufficiency. But for what? The man of God is sufficient for every good work. Every good work as they study and learn the word of God on their own or from a pastor teacher. It equips you for life. How to make decisions. How to think. 
how to turn to God. Some were denying the power of godliness. The major following was women, by the way, 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 6. Ladies, you are the greatest thing that God ever created for us. We're two complete different individuals. I am moved by what I see and you're moved by what you feel. You have greater highs, greater lows. I'm more stable here. Now, there are some exceptions. Some men are more emotional than some women. Okay? And some women are more intellectual than some other women. But for the most part, we are designed completely different. Okay? And for that reason, as we'll see, is why God gave Adam as the head to protect his wife, Eve. Today, that's a threat to the feminist movement. But look what it's given to us. Destroyed homes. Women, they have to fend for themselves. It was kind of fun in the early 70s. Women, oh, wow, we get to work too. Now they say, I have to work. Not all of them. Some of them, that's their life. But what did it do to their home? What has it done to their children? Hmm. The spiritual leadership through much of the liberal emergent church today, which is the liberal side of within the camp of the church, like secularism, is like a compass that is broken. And they're telling people to live according to the culture, just like the book of Judges. Every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. Subjectivism. Do what you want. The benefit of Christian fathers is that they will uh, impact the lives of others in society, not just their own children. First Timothy four sixteen. Listen, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. As a father, I am to take heed to myself and to the doctrine. That's my responsibility. Learning objective truth from the Bible. It'll give me my worldview. As a father, I am to continue in them the teaching of Scripture because I am, as we'll see, the head and responsible for my family. As a father, I will be saving myself as abiding in the Scriptures and evidence of my salvation. As a father, I will be saving others who hear me by living out what I believe. You will affect their lives. In a way that you sometimes have no idea about. The accountability of Christian fathers to God is a serious one. Being ambassadors for Christ to their society. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an incredible verse. God uses fathers to plead through them and implore men on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to Christ. If you're a saved, godly man, when you walk out from your home, you realize how lost this world is. Your family members, employers that you work with, the average person. The majority of Christians is minute in the United States today. Biblical 
Christians. And you have eyes to see that no one else has by the grace of God. God uses fathers to plead through them and to implore men on behalf of Christ. As you share Christ and you're praying for them, and God opens those doors for you to share your life and to share with Christ and then to plead with them to repent. Wow. Explaining to others how God made Jesus to be sin for us who do no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only hope we have. This message is not from earth ladies and gentlemen. This message is from heaven. It's too good to come from earth. <laughs> and so the Bible teaches fathers are to be um, spiritual leaders. Secondly, the Bible teaches fathers are to be models of a husband. Each father is to love his wife. Husband and wife like peanut butter and jam. Tacos and beans, they go together. Father to do so as Christ loves the church. So he's not to love her just any which way, but he tells you how to do it. That's a tall order. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And 25, he uses the word agape, a sacrificial love that is to be comparable to that of Christ. Christ also loved the church. This love is selfless so that of Christ as giving himself for us. It's sacrificial. Doesn't think of itself. This love has a goal to be sufficient for all things as Christ, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word in verse 26 of Ephesians 5. He prepares all this. He equips us for all this. As you know, the word agape is the motive behind the commitment. The fruit of the Spirit is Galatians 5.22. Agape love, singular, not plural. Your English is plural. The Greek is singular. Agape is the only fruit. The rest that follow are manifestations of agape love. Completely. So we're not free as men to love our wives any way we want. As godly men. The word of God is the means of the promises and provisions made alive by the spirit. He gives us understanding. First Corinthians 2.12 says the natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit. But we examine all things by the spirit because we have the mind of Christ. The problem is we don't put it on at times. But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God also maintains a relationship without blemish between a husband and wife through the great aspect of confessing and forgiveness. Just the same means by which I keep my relationship right with God, the vertical, by confessing and forgiveness. The same thing goes on the parallel. I cannot take care of the parallel between my wife unless first I take care of me and God first. If I'm not right with God, it's impossible to be right with my wife. Or her with me. Or with others. It's impossible. In Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, each father is to love his wife as his own body, he's told. The command is a parallel to Christ through the word. The positive command is compared to the negative sinful practice of loving oneself. 
Now, many of you young people have been told since the early 60s that you have a low self-esteem. Well, let me propose to you that you love yourself more than anyone else. And God is telling to the husband, listen, guys, if you would love your wife the same way you love yourself, she would be one happy woman. He's taking a sinful, negative practice of the sin nature and he says, turn it over to others on the other side and you will do just fine. We are our constant obsession if we're not careful. It's in our DNA. The man who loves his wife, in fact, Loves himself, he says in verse 28 there of Ephesians. He is provoking her to love him by demonstrating his love for her. He is witnessing her submission to him as unto the Lord. Because he's acting as Christ, so she responds as unto the Lord. Not because he's a dictator, not because he's going to beat her. Not because he's more smarter, but because he's being that leader, that Christ-type individual... Because, ladies, we initiate and you respond. It's just simple. It's not that complicated. He is the personal recipient of her affections, her emotions, her passions. Each father is to love his wife knowing they are the weaker vessel. 1 Peter 3, 7 tells us that. The woman is physically weaker than a man by created design purposely, both in skeletal frame and muscular mass. Now, there are some women you might not want to mess with today. All right? But that's not the rule. All right? There are some bufferillas, Okay? But um, that's a cross between a buffalo and a gorilla. Um, But that's not average. That's not the norm, okay? Um, A woman's more emotional, as I said, than a man. By design, by the way, not by accident. She compliments her husband. She holds the home together. She's with the children all day long. The woman, due to her emotional design, is more prone to deception, by the way, which some of you women, if you're liberal, you're going to... You're more prone to deception morally and spiritually without your husband. That is why if you study history in cultures, the fathers and the men always protect their Wives and their daughters from the greatest destructive force of society, the single male, that are collectors, notch builders, conquerors, destroyers. It's marriage that domesticates a man and gives him a little bit of brains. The way it is.
The understanding of these basic and important truths honors the wife and allows both husband and wife to enjoy the grace of life together without their prayers being hindered, 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Now also in Ephesians 5.22, each father is to protect their wife. Um, and it's from other men, as I just stated. Wives are to submit to their own husbands, not to any or every man. Wives in submission is qualified as to the Lord. Obeying the Lord in love. In other words, wives are not commanded to submit just because he is the man or the head. If he is doing or asking things of her that violate her conscience or submission to the Lord, then she's not supposed to do that. Women are to submit to their husband who are godly and who are not requiring or asking of them to submit to things that are ungodly and unscriptural. Is that clear? All right? Wives are never commanded to submit to physical or verbal abuse. That's destructive. It's ridiculous. It doesn't mean she just rebels. I'm out of here. No, no, no. She prays for him. She confronts him. She deals with him with the word of God. And you work things out. It's till death do you part, ladies and gentlemen. Not until you don't have any more goosebumps. Or you get your eye on a newer model. Or you think you made a mistake. You said I do. Once you say I do, you've done. You don't undo that. God gives you one reason only, adultery, no other. And that's not a command. If there's repentance, fixing it is always better. The grass is not greener on the other side. It might be even darker. Okay? Almost dead. You have to protect it from your family members too, gentlemen. Ephesians 5.31, the marriage union causes uh, the severing of mother and father. The authority of both male and female are severed. That doesn't mean you abandon your parents, but there is a severing of that authority. The marriage union establishes a new home distinct from the previous one, severing the authority, the control, and again, that doesn't mean you dishonor, you're disrespectful, or abandon your father and mother. But your priority is your wife, wives, your husband. Okay? A new home. Family members have um, uh, permitted access as prescribed by the married couple in their lives and children. In other words, um, there is a, you might look at a target, like uh, when you go target shooting, you have the bullseye, another circle outside concentric, another one, and out and that. The bullseye is you, your wife, and your children. The other one is your in-laws, alias, outlaws, okay? And then you have your friends, all right? All of these are concentric circles. They do not intersect. You come in by permission. I allow people to come close to me and Trudy because... Of permission who they are. Not everybody has that close access, okay? It's a choice I make based on my discretion, objectively, who they are, what kind of people they are, right? Simple, all right? And so you have that, and it's very important. So you have to protect her from your um, father and mother who are going to like you a lot more than her. And when, you know, you're, 
especially in cultures in Mexican, Filipino, you know, stuff like that. Oh, mijito, you look so skinny. Is she feeding you? Listen, husband, you're the first one to say, Mom, do not do that. You're insulting my wife. That's not nice. You're the first one to step in. A mild reproof to your mother. Behave yourself. Respectfully, but you do it. Your wife is going to take notice. Family members have um, this tendency to kind of pull rank. Got to be careful. So you both must be in agreement. You both protect each other. You're both accountable to each other. Those circles are very important. But also from your children, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, the sinful nature of your children is tragically inherited from you. See, the problem with your children and mine, they're our children. They're just like us. They're rotten sinners. I mean, any of you guys have to teach your child to, to lie? Three years old, you sit them down and say, okay, now I'm going to teach you how to lie, okay? They came forth from the womb speaking lies, the Bible says. You thought they were crying. Bad stuff comes naturally. It's the good stuff that you have to work on constantly by objective truth. The honor of parents is the first commandment with promise of long life. Again, the mother is the one mostly um, that is easily to be disrespected frequently because the children spend more time with her and they push the boundaries more with her. So the father has to be the head of that home and let the children know that she is the delegated authority. And when she acts, she acts on his person. And any disobedience will be dealt with the head when he gets home, when they mess with his wife. Real simple. Moms, you know children. Oh, don't tell, don't tell that. Say, say no, you're right. I'm not going to tell that. You're going to tell that. That's what my wife told my son one time. His friends said, oh, your mom's cool. She's not going to tell him. She goes, no, you're right, you're right. X is going to tell him. Ladies, be a squealer. Be faithful to God and your husband and your family. The soundness, the health, spiritually and physically of it. Consistent. The children are not to be provoked by fathers in wrath. They're in Ephesians 6, 4. It makes life more difficult for the wife when she's with the children at home. You provoke them in one way or the other, and then you go to work, and she's got to deal with the mess. So again, you raise your children according to the word of God, gentlemen. And as you're leading your wife, you're both in agreement with these steps, with these standards. Very important. A father can provoke a child to frustration or taunting him physically, emotionally, and frustrate him. I've seen adults like that. It's ridiculous. Why would adult men do that? By being too strict or severe in the discipline and punishment. It doesn't equal to the crime. It's hard. 
by not loving their mother, by disrespecting and dishonoring her. That frustrates and irritates them because they can see everything that's going on. If you're loving your wife, if you're respecting your wife, you're protecting your wife, your children just love you and honor you, fathers. They see it. They live with you. <laughs> Each father is to provide for his wife also. The wife needs a home to live in. Leaving father and mother presupposes living in a new location. Now, I know culture is different a little bit, but you still have your own location. If a man cannot provide a place for his bride, then he has no business asking her to get married with him. Now, that doesn't mean that you can provide or that she is demanding that you provide the same level of home that her father has provided for her. That took years. But that you can take her out of her father's home and provide a place to live, her necessary things as clothing, food, the necessary things may not have the 50 dresses, okay? May not have the 100, 100 shoes, okay? There's only two feet. They still need 100 shoes. But, but, but you can provide for her needs, okay? And ladies, on the other end, you have to be careful that you don't abuse or take advantage and use your emotions to manipulate and frustrate and destroy the headship of your husband. You see, it's it's doggy dog if we don't work by God's objective truths. And so food, clothing, transportation, the necessary things. The wife needs to have a sense of security in his leading and decision making. Gentlemen, you need to be consistent here. As you show your wife how you think about decisions, your concern, your priorities for the families. Um, do you make decisions and the decisions are always to your advantage instead of them? You know, getting in the car and you say, okay, we're going to go out to dinner. Where do you guys want to go? The wife says, hey, let's go over here to whatever. No, no, no. The kids go, no, let's go over here. No, no. Everybody gets their shot and then you go, no, I don't want to go there. And then you say, well, where do you want to go? Well, let's go here. Okay. Why did you even ask them? Is that the way it is all the time? You get the benefit, the last word all the time? It's easily done. Because I love me more than anybody else, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, do you jeopardize, take chances with what you've worked so hard for in a foolish way? That doesn't cause your wife to have confidence in you. There are some times when you take some risks, you both pray about it, you both looked at it, you looked at the objective things, the pros, the cons, the chance, probability, all of this, you're praying and you're both in agreement, okay, let's go. But if you're consistently taking chances and destroying that which you're working hard, it's very hard for her to feel secure with you. It's difficult. When you spend money, once again, who receives the most? I know this husband, I mean, insane. I mean, this guy would just, would buy anything for himself and, and wouldn't even care about the kids or the wife and everything else. 
And, and sometimes men do this unconsciously. They're just caught up with themselves. Now, it can be on the other side too with women, okay? It's just your day, gentlemen. We're just dealing with you today, okay? The ladies will have her day. Each father is to have um, his wife as the best of friends. Has nothing to do with emotions, nothing to do with feelings. You let your obedience be the one that your emotions catch up to. You obey God. If you make your decisions by emotions, you're going to be dead and destroyed. You're going to throw away everything God wants to do for you. And the attention that you give to her throughout the day, not exclusively at bedtime. How do you leave the home? How do you respond? What's the first words out of your mouth when you jump out of bed? Do you call her during the day? Do you get home and say, hey, honey, can I help you with something? Or I got to do this. All those things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Those little things that destroy relationships. And the time that you spend with her when you're able. People say, well, you know, we don't spend a lot of time. And this is also for parenting. But we call quality. Listen, listen, listen. Don't be dumb. Um, for To have quality, you have to have quantity. You can't have quality without quantity. All right? We just flip these things around like we just were, you know, Einsteins or something. Hollow, hollow words. And the conversations you have with her, to listen to her, her cares, her fears, her desires, her discussions, her interests. Important. We don't do this automatically, gentlemen. I have to work hard. I have to die to self every day, just like you. Always. And the attitude and tone of my voice when I express things towards her will confirm my concern and love. Now, all these things are great, but we're not perfect, right? And we're going to blow it, right? So listen to me. The most valuable words say, honey, I am so sorry. I was a jackass. Forgive me. Over. Done. You keep your account short. Wow. The day has come when much of the church teaches what a father or husband is to be according to the culture rather than the biblical standards, giving society no hope, ladies and gentlemen. The church is the greatest place for hope if the word of God is taught. Nothing like it. Father, your children will be the first to witness your love for their mother and the things that you do for her, the gifts, the flowers, the cars, the dinners, um, the upkeep of the home. And the things you say to her, an appreciation, her devotion, tenderness, sacrifice to care for the children in the home, and the physical affection you show her. Just a touch across her head, just a hug. 
and the way you talk about her or to her in front of others. Very important. Fathers, in your obedience to God and to be a godly husband, you will be the recipients of the returns. You will be the recipient, causing her to be secure in herself and knowing you love her and appreciate her. As you always remember her and you express your love for her, causing her to be secure among other people, knowing that when she is out with you, she's out with you. You're not looking all around. You're not being distracted. Gentlemen, when you go eat dinner, when you go to a restaurant, take the seat that faces the wall. Have a nice dinner. <laughs> Causing her to know your intimate passion and satisfaction and delight for her and in her. Being the only one. You desire to meet your physical needs. No one else. Wow. These things speak volumes. These things will make you die for each other. These things will mold and shape your children as little rocks. Hmm. The Bible teaches fathers are to be models of husbands. Third and last, the Bible teaches fathers to be the heads of their homes. Kind of brings it together with the other two. Each father is to be an example of the high priest of their home. As they study the word of God, Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also is Christ the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That's a high call. Allowing his children to see the change in his life first. That is, he gives himself to the word, his life is transformed. He is controlled by the Spirit of God. Allowing his children to see his daily relationship with the Lord. And that he comes to Sunday. He brings his family. He doesn't send his family to church. He leads his family to church. Some of you and people always ask, well, you know, my son, you know, they're teens. They don't want to come now. Do you feed them? They live in your home? They sleep in your bed? They shower with your water? They're going to church. Oh, but I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. Listen, if they want to rebel, you've lost them already. You don't compromise. When they leave home, they can do whatever they want. Not by your permission, not by your acceptance, but if they want to rebel against the Lord, they'll do it on their own, not in my house. I'm not flipping the bill. And if they're going to a godless, worldly school that teaches them everything that destroys their worldview of God, I'll be darned if I'm going to flip the bill for that. You want to go get corrupted, you pay your own way. Pretty hard words I'm saying this morning. They don't go well with the Christian community today. But you know, I'm getting also, it doesn't matter. I got to speak truth, ladies and gentlemen. Truth will cost us. 
here on earth, but not in heaven. Not in heaven. As they make decisions in the fear of God and the word of God, Ephesians 5.21, children see you submitting to God. They see you as accountable to God, to the word of God. Your responsibility to your wife, to your children, you're there. Your sons will pick it up, gentlemen, as you catechize them over and over again. Growing up, my dad was not a Christian. He says, this is what you do. This is you work hard. This is what you do. You take care of your mom. You take care of your sisters. Walking down the street, you, you walk on the outside of the sidewalk. But you put them in. You do this. You do that. I taught that to my children. I teach that to my grandchildren. Their dad teaches them that. It's line upon line. Here, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. You must spend time and you must repeat it over and over and over and over again and live it. Wow. Sounds tiresome. It is. But it's the most rewarding. Most rewarding. Then as they instruct their children, the word of God. You as fathers, you teach your children. Ephesians 6, 4. They might live for the Lord. They might receive the blessings of God and you warn them. You be truthful with them. Sharing your own life. You don't have to go to detail. Friends, where they're at. What happened? Choices you made. They made. Here they are. Here you are. All those things of life, don't waste them. That they might cross, draw close to the Lord, honor the Lord, love the Lord. That they're in the word of God. That they read their devotions in the morning. That they go through the Bible. That they know the word of God. That they die to self. They can't just give in. Important. That they might hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant from God. Wow. I don't really care what my children do in life as long as they walk with God. It's the most important thing. My son, my daughter, or a doctor, or a pilot, or whatever it is, an astronaut, and they're not Christians. Waste of life. Absolute waste of life. You're Christian. You drive a bus. You work for the sanitation department. You work at a grocery store. You're an asset to society. You are priceless. Absolutely priceless. Each father is to be an example of godliness then. Being that example, as 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, uh, that contentment with godly, uh, godliness is great gain. You, you, you they learn that from you, fathers. Verse 6, there in First Timothy 6. That you don't, work, you don't live for money. You work hard. You're a good steward of it. It's necessary. It's the love of money that's bad. You get greedy, right? And so the whole thrust is people work, 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 work. Because they love money so much, but they can't ever live life. All right? That's no good. Nothing's taken out of this world. You tell them, verse 7 and 8, they're going to... Put you in that box, you're not going to take anything with you. You'll leave it all behind. Riches can cause problems and destruction. Also, verse 9 tells us. Money sometimes opens more evil doors than good doors. See? The problem with 
Many ministries says they have too much money. They can do whatever they want. When you don't have it, then you have to pray and ask God, what do you want to do? <laughs> when, when, you're, when you're just get started and you, know, you, you, you don't have that much money and the tire blows out in the freeway that morning and, and then uh, um, you, you, know, you, you have it towed home and then uh, we get home that night and the washer goes out and you go, okay, now, okay, I only have enough for the tire of the washer. Well, I, okay, well, the, car, the tire is going to get me to work make more money so I'll get the tire and I'll go to the, we'll go to the laundromat for a week or two whatever right priorities right simple I hope you've been there at the greatest days of your life make you a good steward for the future when God gives you some stuff <laughs> it's the love of money that's root of all evil but also teaching the basic principles of consequences um, just briefly, Galatians 6, 7 through 10, God will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, that he'll also reap. You either sow to the flesh or reap to the spirit, you'll reap the benefits of one or the other. You, God's not going to be mocked. And so you warn your children about those things. You warn your children about hanging out with the wrong people. Um, fathers, you, 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 you check them. You, 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 you spend time with them. You, you warn them. Very, very important. Uh, praying for your children, even as Job in chapter 1, he prayed for his children because um, he loved them and he knew they were children and, and he'd offer sacrifice and pray for them, right? Uh, you pray for them constantly because they know the problem is they're just like you. And if you don't walk with God, then you're going to blow it. And if they don't walk with God, they're going to blow it. And that's not good. Each father is to be an example by discipline too, confronting the children and their failures. And not just being indifferent, even as David, you know, didn't confront Amnon when he raped his sister Tamar in Second Samuel thirteen twenty one. He just kind of shined it on. Fathers, do you say, "Well, boys will be boys"? What? Objective truth: male or female doesn't matter. You understand the distinction, the difference, but you deal with objective truth, right? When there's crime, when there's failure. There has to be consequences or you destroy your child. Absolutely destroy them. Restraining the children in their lives. Being faithful to God. That's a tough one because your emotions are involved. Eli did not restrain his children in 1 Samuel chapter 2. They were laying with the women in the temple. They were stealing from the sacrifices. And they were the priests. So God um, gave a message to Samuel. He says, you tell Eli, I'm going to get him. Now, Samuel's children didn't walk with God either. God didn't get Samuel. Which means that Samuel must have confronted his children. Right? Because God doesn't hold you responsible for your children or your children for you. But he holds you responsible for your children if you don't restrain your children. Right? That's different. So the chastening, the discipline, essential. Proverbs says, chasten your son while there is hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Psalm twenty two fifteen. There's a nice healthy area. God has given. Do not smack them on the head. Do not kick them. Do not elbow him. 
Do not body slam him. Correct him. The way God wants you to. And it will pay off. Gentlemen, you are the primary disciplinarian. Your wife will do it in your absence as delegated authority, but you are the high priest of your home. By the way, in everything I've said, gentlemen, you're teaching your sons and preparing your sons to be husbands and fathers and fit human beings for society in the church of Jesus Christ. Wow. The official flower on Father's Day is the dandelion because the more it is trampled upon, the better it grows. How are we doing, gentlemen? Hmm. Every one of you fathers set a tone for your home spiritually as the head of your home. As your children see you, they read and your your life and they hear you everything else are you in the word in prayer have your children ever heard you pray important or is it just at mealtime do they see your consistency in church that church is a priority very important all these things will teach your children the priorities of life. Uh, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, My son, hear the instructions of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be grace, graceful ornaments on your head and chains upon your neck. Wow, gold. So important. Every one of you fathers have to make sure that you teach your children about godliness as you confirm it in your life. Just teaching is not good if there's no example. Jesus said, look, this is what I'm teaching you. This is what I'm living. Now you try it. His life lined up with what he was teaching. Otherwise, they'll have no reason to believe what you teach. They'll rebel against God. Now, God will hold me responsible for my children while they're in my home. Not outside my home. But I am a light. I am a beacon. Parents, how many parents have gone away chasing their, their kids or gone liberal because their kids are liberal after they grow up? And they abandon the faith and they don't become that light. You, your children walk away from God. They choose to not walk with God. They are like ships in the storm. You should be a lighthouse. It never moves. It's there. For the safety of the ships. Hmm. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example of the believer in word and conduct and love, spirit and faith and purity. 1 Timothy 4.12. Wow. So gentlemen, every one of you as father to know that God will hold you responsible for your home. He calls you, he leads you. And he enables you to do so. He doesn't command anything he doesn't enable you for. So you have to be a man of the word, a word of, man of the prayer, and a man of the spirit, walking in the spirit. It is consistently, it is a warfare. You must put on the armor. You put on the mind of Christ. You must do good battle. 
And you must fight the good fight of faith. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Ephesians 3, 20-21. Objective truth forever and ever. Never changes. He enables us. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Wow. The Bible teaches fathers are to be the heads of their homes. So gentlemen, thank you for being godly men. Thank you for being those pillars of the church to lead your home, your children, your wives. There's such a need today. And so your value as fathers in your homes is priceless. Because the Bible teaches fathers are to be the spiritual leaders. The Bible teaches fathers to be models of a husband. And the Bible teaches that fathers are to be the heads of their homes. I don't make this stuff up. I'm not that smart. And whatever I tell you applies to me too. It's the way it is. And so... You may not like what you hear all the time. You may even leave. And if you ever decide to come back 10 years from now, you're going to find me doing the exact same thing. I have never changed from day one. If it isn't God's word, what am I going to tell you? What am I going to give you? My opinion is worthless. Absolutely worthless. Gentlemen, you're of great value. Stand in the gap. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your grace and love. Thank you for the men, Lord, and thank you for just your grace over our life here in the church. Go before them. Give them a great day with their families, Lord and Father. I pray for the families. You protect them, for the children, for the wives, the husband, all of them, Lord. That you help us in this evil day that we're living. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. That you might be that godly father or mother or son. Do you believe God died for you? Do you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe that he's the only one that can forgive your sin? If you do, it's God's grace. And he can save you right now through repentance. Right where you sit, whether you're on the balcony or here or over the internet. A prayer of repentance. Very simple, very clear. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to Jesus. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.